0: Welcome to the Knot Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, a woman's way to freedom, power, love, and magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Today's episode is brought to you by The Heroine's Knot, an online community for creative creatures on the quest of self-discovery. In this group, we untangle the knots of contemporary creative life, we connect to the greater web, and we weave new stories. Part writing community, part creative incubator, part training ground for heroines seeking practical and magical solutions to the individual and collective dilemmas that shape our modern world. This place is for you if you're seeking more depth, more soul, more connection with the self and with the more-than-human world. In The Heroine's Knot, we call on mythology, archetypal wisdom, and our relationship with nature. We root into something wild and timeless, even as we design something new and necessary that will guide our next evolutionary steps. Learn more about the Heroines Not community over on my website, marisagoudi.com, or check the show notes for the link. Season two, episode two, Maeve, the Celtic Magdalene, finally comes to call. Elizabeth Cunningham is a novelist, poet, musician, and counselor based in New York's Hudson Valley. She is the author and illustrator of The Book of Madge, a graphic novel and the source of her best-known works, The Maeve Chronicles. Her earlier novels include The Wild Mother and The Return of the Goddess. Her most recent book, the thriller, All the Perils of the Night, was released in August of 2022. I am so grateful to call Elizabeth a teacher, mentor, and guide, and she actually wrote the foreword for my book in 2020 as well. I am so excited to have Elizabeth here on Not Work Storytelling. At last, it feels like it's been a long time coming in having Elizabeth here. So Elizabeth, will you tell us a story today?
1: Yes, I'd be happy to or tell you part of a story. This is an excerpt from Magdalen Rising, which is the first of four volumes in a series of novels known as The Maeve Chronicles. And I got hooked on telling the story of Maeve, the Celtic Mary Magdalene, after having some grave reservations when I heard some things about the Celts, like head hunting, fighting to death over the hero's cut of the meat. And I found out that there were islands of warrior witches and that they were the ones who trained the heroes. And so I thought, oh, okay, my heroine Maeve, the Celtic Magdalene will definitely grow up there. So she grows up with eight warrior-rich mothers, and she has a wonderful time, and they have a wonderful time, but it's very hard to do anything without your mothers knowing or to get away from them. So one day, she does run away to the heart of the island where her mothers have told her not to go until they take her there. So of course she goes. And she has her first Maynard while she's there. And she plays with a skull that was dropped in this well of wisdom and has all sorts of fun. and then. Beyond the skull, I saw a gray robe, stopping just above bare feet, the most beautiful feet I had ever seen, surely the feet of a goddess. Hardly daring to breathe, I lifted my gaze and a flash of fiery beauty almost blinded me. Imagine if lightning walked the earth and took a form. That's what I saw in the split second before I shielded my eyes. When I summoned the courage to look again, the robe was the same, but the feet were gnarled and knobby. A bent hooded figure stood before me, holding a torch in one hand and a walking stick in the other. I could not see the face, but I knew absolutely uh, this was not one of my mother's. It occurred to me that it might be the spirit of whoever once inhabited the skull, wrathful at the liberties I'd taken. Patting the skull on the head, uh, so to speak, I rose to face whatever face or facelessness the hood concealed. I did not think old when I saw this face, but I was fascinated by the intricacy of the thousands of tiny lines, by the sheerness of the flesh that barely concealed the bone. The eyes that met mine were as golden as the salmon of wisdom. In these eyes I saw again the living light of the valley. That light had not disappeared with the sun, but stored itself in these eyes. Eyes as dangerous and promising as the sacred well. A shiver ran through me as I guessed, this must be Bridie, Bridie herself taking form before me gods and goddesses are famous for shifting their shapes. They can be animals or trees, young or old, beautiful or ugly. It's a form of sport. And if you know a god when you see one, that's score one for you. And if you don't, you not only miss that point, you miss the point. Divinity is everywhere. So, I said with a brave show of nonchalance, Are you the goddess of this place or what? The response was a low laugh that sounded at first more like a growl. Then she said quite distinctly, They told me you were a precocious brat. So that's a little short excerpt from there. So Maeve was raised by those eight mothers, and then she discovers the wise woman at the heart of the island. And they all decide that Maeve is not going to be able to stay and live out her days as one of the warrior witches. She has some other mysterious destiny. And the first leg of that journey is to go to druid school on the Isle of Mona, which actually is a historic place. And in my imagining of the story, uh, this was the first time women were admitted because they tended to cause some problems, which Maeve certainly did. But her mothers take her there to be presented and admitted. And she is by the skin of her teeth. And then they realize that maybe they haven't educated her as well as they thought. And they also have some fun. They live on an Isle of Women. So they do have some fun one night with King Bran. And Maeve witnessed that and was curious and they realize, oh, her sex education, we haven't really attended to it. So this is part of their conversation about that. There's two of them, Fond and Boen, are two of her mothers. You have come to the Druid Isle to train as a bard, not to meet boys. And the boy in question here is someone called Asus. Oh, I decided to get really smart. And why did you come here? Why did we come here, they both echoed, just to see that you're admitted to college. No other reason? No, absolutely not. Then what were you doing last night? Fond and Boanne exchanged a look across me and smirked. What do you think, Boanne, said Fond? Given our Maeve's impetuous nature, perhaps we ought to have a little talk with her about that. It occurs to me that her knowledge of relations between the sexes uh, may be more theoretical than practical. Now, there was an understatement. Maybe we'd better start by finding out how much she does know, suggested Bohan. Maeve, do you know what Fond and I were doing last night? (sighs) You were offering King Bran the friendship of your thighs, I answered proving that their tales of Queen Maeve of Connaught had not been lost on me. Well, yes, they smirked again, embarrassed but clearly enjoying themselves. Now, do you know exactly what that means? I've seen pigs and sheep. I did my best to sound bored. I know which parts go together. Er, er, quite, said Fond, a little nonplussed. But did you know that people often, not always, mind you, but often do it face-to-face? It, it adds a certain mm, je ne sais quoi. So then they, there's a long, probably a, at least a page or two discussion of sexual positions, and then Mae finally interrupts. How old do you have to be? I got right to the point, the one that mattered most to me. When can I do it? Fond and boy and stared at each other, looking pretty dumb for a couple of shrewd witches. They had stumbled right into the pitfall, especially reserved for enlightened parents. They prided themselves on their ability to impart information, but they couldn't quite make the leap to application. Talk about a gap between the theoretical and the practical. Well, Maeve, that all depends. On what? Why, on whether or not you're ready, Boanne sounded vague. And we don't think you are, Fond hastened to add. You, You have to be mature, responsible. Fond, I think we better get down to brass tacks. We don't have much time left. We can't have her getting pregnant. Well, she can always say no. Abstinence is the better part of valor. Valor? Listen, Maeve, if you get pregnant, well, King Bran told us that the Druids are admitting women to college for the first time this year. It's being regarded as an experiment by the Druids and by the priestesses of Holy Isle. And if you get pregnant, what would happen? I asked, careful to keep my voice neutral. I didn't want them to guess that I might not mind having 20 years of drill cut short. Well, that's just it. We don't know. we must have a conference with the priestesses before we go. They must have some sort of contingency plan, and surely they're planning to teach the girls how to protect themselves. Yes, but we can't leave sex education to the schools, Fond. So educate me already. I wasn't interested in the Druid's open admission policy and the repercussions of pregnancy. I wanted something I could apply to myself and a seuss. So then they find out how much she knows about ovulation, and how to figure out when you're ovulating. It's, they get quite detailed. So then the conversation continues. We should have thought of this, Owen was rueful. We could, have, we could have given her a supply of those seeds, you know, what do you call them? But it's not seed time now, even if we could find them. Still, maybe the priestesses have a store of them. Well, there's stones, suggested Fond. Listen, Maeve, as soon as you can, find a smooth, flat stone, preferably from the beach, before you do anything, and as I said, I, I really don't think you ought to, put it inside you, as far up as you can. I stared at her, unbelieving. I could not connect stone with the glimmering I had had of it as something hot, live, melting, It blocks the seed from reaching fertile ground, Boanne explained, which is to say your womb. Certain kinds of dried seaweed also work. I wish we had time to show you, fretted Pond. I wish we had thought of this on Tirnavon. We could have given you lessons, demonstrations, when I think of all the time we wasted on sword play and spear casting. Well, not wasted entirely, put in Boanne. It did improve her hand-eye coordination. But if she becomes a druid, she'll never so much as touch a weapon. Druids aren't allowed to bear arms, Fond lamented. Why didn't the Kaliak tell us sooner? Why didn't any of us know? What's the use of our being witches if our second sight only works in reverse like everyone else's? Mothers are made to worry, but as noted, I was very much a daughter. I felt detached from their concerns. Nothing would happen to me that was not meant to. I had a destiny, and it was unfolding. Too bad they couldn't see that. <sighs> it's no use moaning over missed opportunities, said And We've got to tell her as much as we can right now. You no, know, there's one thing we haven't mentioned yet, and it's the most important of all. I can't think what we haven't thought of. Sovereignty said Boanne solemnly. Oh, yes, of course, sovereignty. Sovereignty? I pricked up my ears. For the sake of her sovereignty, Queen Maeve of Connaught had fought to win the Brown Bull. Fight for our sovereignty, she had urged me. Pay attention, Maeve, said Fond. Never go with a man or a woman. Come to that unless you want to. Not to please, not to placate, Boanne chimed in. Never on any terms but your own. It had never occurred to me to do anything on any terms but my own. And what exactly were your terms with King Bran? I decided to put them on the spot. Fond and Boanne exchanged a glance and actually blushed. They were extremely cordial, said Fond. Pleasure, mutual pleasure, added Boanne. That sounded simple enough. Well, are there any other terms you'd consider? I wanted all the information I could get. I intended to come to terms with a Seuss as soon as possible. Fond and Boanne looked uncertain. Should we tell her about love, wondered Fond. Well, doesn't love complicate matters unnecessarily? Boanne was dubious. I've, I've heard it sometimes results in temporary insanity. And what about marriage, persisted Fond. I confess I've never fully understood its purpose, but Queen Maeve of Connaught seems to have managed to have one on her own terms, uh, though there was that unfortunate mix-up over the bulls. I believe marriage often leads to cattle wars. And then there's babies, Bowen reminded her. Don't forget babies. That's sometimes one of the terms. Babies. I kept forgetting about them, and no wonder. I'd never seen a human baby in my life. Then a disturbing thought struck me. The moon was close to full. About last night, I tried to sound offhand. Did you use stones or seaweed? Their answer was silence. You might even say a pregnant silence. You did it to get Babies, I accused. You did it on purpose. Now, that's not strictly true, objected Fond. We did it for fun, Boen insisted. King Bran is a jolly old soul and a good sport. Simple, too, added Fond. A virtue in a man. But as for babies, yes, as for babies, repeated bo They looked far away and dreamy. As for babies, I prompted loudly. Well, to tell you the truth, Maeve, we didn't do it on purpose, but we wouldn't mind if that's what happened. We haven't had a baby since you, Maeve. Parthenogenesis isn't all as cracked up to be, Boanne observed. Oh, what about Mananan MacLear? I demanded. Why did he only come to the island once? Oh, Gods are like that, said Fond vaguely. Fickle, unpredictable. You you can't leave everything to the gods. So it's not quite the full moon, but we can hope, said Boanne. You want to replace me? Replace you? They both looked genuinely startled. Replace you, darling, Maeve, as if we could. It's just that we'd like to go on being mothers for a little while, if we can. You can understand that, can't you? I couldn't really, not then. I don't get it, I said. If thy friendship is so much fun, and if it can get you the babies you seem to want so much, why are you living on Tiernavon? Why haven't I ever seen a man in my life until yesterday? What the big deal? Well, it's not always as simple as that, side Fond. The way it was with King Brand," she means explained Boyan, a good time had by all, no muss, no fuss. Yes, when women don't have their sovereignty, it can be very messy indeed. Now, we are queens and witches from our own sovereign isle. Sovereignty, Maeve, belonging to yourself, your own terms, Boyan got in as much drill as she could. Tiernavan stands for the sovereignty of women, continued Fond. If it exists nowhere else in the world, it exists there. Remember that, Maeve. Sovereignty is your birthright and your inheritance. Next to sovereignty, gold, torques, and brooches are mere trinkets. Never surrender your sovereignty, Maeve. Carry it with you wherever you go. Their words were stirring, but abstract. Then an image rose in my mind of myself as a sort of floating island, shining a sovereign vessel on a vast and dangerous sea. So Maeve has a long, long life through many volumes of a story fraught with danger. And she does carry her sovereignty with her, even into captivity. And in the very last book, I'm just going to read a short couple of paragraphs. She comes full circle and becomes an old woman herself. So I'm just going to let her tell it. I am the gray hag, I intoned. I am the daughter and mother of the holy isles, the very bones of her mountains, the breasts of her hills, the soft fertile flesh of her plains, the secrets hidden in her valleys, the lifeblood of her rivers, the cool bright reflection of her still waters, the ragged edges of her rocky shores, the breath of her tides, the depths of her seas. Whoever harms me brings down my curse and whoever lends me aid is blessed. You are scaring me, mother of Sarah, said Bella. I believe that's the idea, answered Alyssa. I'd intended to mock myself by intoning the lineage I'd boasted the other day, but suddenly my claim seemed true.
0: The end and the beginning. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth, you are the ultimate not-worker. The mm-hmm. way you weave together all of these pieces of history and spirituality and dreams and vision and possibility and co-education and sex and magic is endlessly enthralling to me, let's say. So thank you for sharing these pieces and thank you for these four books that have changed my life in so many ways.
1: Well, I'm very glad to be here with you, and I've always thought that you bore a distinct resemblance to Maeve yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I first picked up Magdalene Rising, I think it was before you and I had a chance to meet, there definitely felt as if there was a oh, sister, yeah. both in the author and in the woman on the page. And if I could look in the mirror and see Maeve on any given day, I'd know I was doing it right.
1: Yeah. Well, I should think that happens
0: fairly often. Yeah. Yes, yes. And just, you know, this is one of those books in one of those characters where women connect once we realize we have Maeve in common. Mm-hmm. Like I've done that. Mm-hmm. But when you meet a sister who knows Maeve and there's just that squeal of excitement or just that that deep recognition in the heart because I wish you could have seen my face as you were reading. It was everything from that, like, you know, those deep sighs of recognition to just outright giggling at the parts that are just so enduringly funny and true. Yeah. And so much of it is about sovereignty. Of course, you know, your work was such an inspiration to me and it was such a recognition for me of like the ideas that are in the old mythology and various they are ways. in the old stories.
1: She gets her name from Maeve of Kanaf. Yes, yes.
0: Yes. And you make it all so incredibly current because I've been struggling with the word sovereignties since my book came out a couple of years ago because it it's so bogged down by so many modern interpretations, but you link us yeah. back so powerfully to what it always was as I envisioned it. And I guess as how I'd like to imagine it was always meant to be interpreted.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think our connecting it with nation states is fairly recent.
0: Yeah. 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 So, your journey with Maeve began a number of years ago now, and and you certainly have written many other books since, but I just would love to start with kind of the perennial magic of Maeve that she's continued to linger and stay present in the lives of so many of your readers, but she's still part of your life in so many ways.
1: Yeah. I call her my Biff, best imaginary friend forever. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have her there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's comforting and challenging sometimes because she, yeah. she always cuts to the point. Right. right. But yeah. She's been with me for a really long time. I mean, really since 1990.
0: And that's when she came in with a different name, right? Before she revealed yeah. all the levels of her story.
1: She came in as... I had written a book called The Return of the Goddess, a novel. And that was my first attempt to write about the goddess. And I think I began to realize that I was missing the goddess. was. It was beautiful and wonderful to think of her as the maiden, the mother, the crone, the earth, the sea, the sky, you know, and I still think of the goddess that way. But I... Wanted a goddess with feet. Mm-hmm. I wanted a goddess who is going to walk around, who is going to get in trouble, and make trouble, and be incarnate, and both be incarnate. I think she really sees us all as mediating between the divine and the human. She doesn't think that that's unique to her and her little her little friend. I found the idea that there was an incarnate god. That's how I was raised. I was raised Christian. And there's a lot of things that I cannot adhere to with Christianity. And I can't really call myself a Christian anymore. But I loved it that Jesus walked around, had bad days, got lost his temper, washed people's feet, confused people. He was so human. And I thought, why should we not have a human goddess? I need one. so. I imagined Maeve. And I know there's lots of stories where there are very human goddess-like heroines, but that's who she became to me. But she showed up in a magic marker drawing as a 20th century woman, and her name was Madge. And she was very much like she sounds in the books. I mean, that's where her voice came from. It was very contemporary voice because I didn't want to sort of have a... The novels are historical with ton of research, but her premise is... I'm going to tell you my story. No, I couldn't really tell it before. Everybody was always shutting me up. So now I'm going to tell you. So that's kind of her premise. And she was very, when I first knew her as this cartoon figure, I knew I wanted her to be in a novel. And I kept pitching stories to her. And she thought they were really boring and conventional. And the only one that she would agree to be in was when it occurred to me one night, under the light of the full moon that and I don't know why I was thinking about Mary Magdalene, but it occurred to me that Madge and Magdalene had some letters in common, and that if she had this it was fiery neon orange was the color of her hair in the magic marker box and if she had hair like that maybe she was a Celt and that could be really fun a celtic Ma- Mary Magdalene and she thought that that could be fun too yes. so it seemed always very outrageous and if people say, oh, well, did you channel her? You must have channeled her. It's like, no, it's more like a partnership. And also, I really, you talk about story and a lot. And this is what your podcast is about. And I think that people will want it to be literal sometimes. And I'm like, no, this is a novel. This is a story. They'll say to me, well, how could you say this and that? And the other thing, because this was how it really happened. I'll say, I'm not saying that it happened that way. Right. Right, I just want to write it well enough that you can enjoy it and believe that it could have. Outrageous as the premise is, because it's really kind of, it is outrageous, that <laughs> that the Celtic Mary Magdalene grew up on an island of warrior, which is the same ones that trained Kahul
0: and people like, it's like, it's pretty outrageous. But it was fun. It is fun. And yes, it's outrageous. And yet I also understand the folks to whom, who come to and say, but, you know, well, and here's to quote Maeve herself, yeah. a story is true so long as it's well told. Yeah. Right. And I've That's carried her that. mother's quote, actually. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. is it? Okay. So I've carried that line with me and used it many a time ever since. And knowing that, that yes. there's a d- deep truth to that. And yes, our logical minds would understand, like, of course, that this is a work of contemporary fiction and it's outrageous and I completely buy it. And it's absolutely made up. And that makes it absolutely true because it has such a space in the imaginal realm or in the collective unconscious, Mm -hmm. because you and I are certainly not the only ones whose what ifs spiral off in that direction. Yeah,
1: it is a what if. And I think that there are people that have found it troubling because they need to feel that that Mary Magdalene was a disciple and a very important disciple and should have been Jesus's heir or Mary Magdalene was the founder of sacred bloodline. And I don't have any problem with those stories myself. It's just that that's not the one that I was telling. Right. But sometimes it's very upsetting to people. And it was upsetting to Jesus in the story that, wait, there's one story. And she's like, what? Because her mother's told her about dozens of stories about how she was conceived they told her everything except what actually happened so there's a little like okay let's be careful here about that right. but i mean she was like what do you mean there's one god that's crazy what are you talking about what do you mean there's one story i mean
0: yeah yeah she was the myth but was constantly in the process of being re-mythologized yeah within the space of a paragraph goddess bless her because that's what makes her so wonderful And so funny, like I just, you and I have had this conversation before around the sense of, for me, and I think for you too, the juiciest, most real goddessy spiritual work has, as you say, feet and has that sense of humor because we're not always invoking and drawing down the moon. Like sometimes in the midst of that, I don't know, you fart or something and yes. it's just all <laughs> part of what yes, it's, it is. What it's yes. supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being incarnate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet
1: part of all that it's
0: Right, and it yeah. is the that both and and yes, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. the spirituality is woven through everywhere. So what I love is when you began the story was that sort of the accidental nature of telling a story of the Celts, because we've romanticized them into Enya and Celtic twilight and lots of, yes. you know, beautiful blues and greens. And then, of course, there's the nature of the Celts themselves. When you start looking into it, they were not all hearts and flowers in the sacred groves. Oh, no, there, there was the odd body in the bog. <laughs>
1: calls it. Yes. And as I understood it from research, I mean, they were a warrior horde. They went and sacked, whether it was called, I think it was called Rome. Then they went around sacking cities. And I think what was fascinating, which you've probably found too about the Celts who ended up in the Western Isles of Britain and other places is that they were who they were, these hordes that came across Europe, but they found an indigenous people that they were affected by, it. they have affected right. and were affected by, it, mm-hmm. so that there was some kind of something that word synchronism. They were changed by what they encountered there. Yes.
0: Yes. By the magic they encountered there. And that weaving, yeah, of, yeah. in between the cultures. Yeah. Because then, of course, when you take Maeve to Rome, and then she ends up in the midst of yet another deeply bloody regime. Yeah. It's an interesting thing for you as a writer to have ended up constantly. Did you, did you know you were going to be writing a story that was constantly so soaked in bloodshed? I don't know if I knew that or not. What I didn't know was that it was going to take
1: 20 years and that I was going to have to write four volumes. And I whined about it quite a bit. I would say, you know, writers, I'm sure you know this for yourself. There are many, many ways to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. and one way to procrastinate that I would have is like well if I finish this when I realized it couldn't be one and then I take a little break and then I write another one because I thought maybe it would be a trilogy nice number three and Mm -hmm. that's going to be like the next millennium before I finish it so (laughs) Maeve's response was and so have you got something better to do my right. answer was no. Right. And then I thought, okay, it'll be a trilogy. And then I realized I am not going to be able to get the whole story of the early church into the same volume as the story of Budica, And dang it all, why did I hint that Budica was the daughter that she lost? And why did I do that? But I did. So it was bloody. Yeah, it got yeah. bloodier and bloodier. Right. Yeah. Right. And Maeve says on her Facebook page, she uh, describes her profession as failed peacekeeper because that's how she feels <laughs> like she ended up. I mean, she could have said retired sex worker, but I forgot to put, she forgot to put that in, but.
0: Oh, well, yes, yes. it was her, her current mood on that day was yes. more focused on, on yes. Yeah. She tried to stop that war, but You're right. many of us, I mean, I think how people
1: can really relate to that now, particularly. How do you witness for peace in this world? What does that mean? Right,
0: right. Yes. Pacifism and peace and all those things in between have become more and more complicated. Yeah. When violence seems so ever present in whether it's across the ocean in Europe or whether it's happening across the state in New York. Yeah. It's with us all the time. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned procrastination because, of course, this podcast is my procrastinating from writing my novel. Very. <laughs> it's a good procrastination. It, it is. I feel like I feel like there's productive procrastination and that, you know, the creativity finds us in any given moment in time because if and when that book ever gets written. Its roots are so deeply interwoven with Maeve's story because my main character's name is Mona and Uh, there's definitely some bog bodies involved. There are. Oh,
1: yes. What would you say about bogs? You had a definition of a
0: bog that I love. Oh, gosh. When last you and I spoke, the project was much clearer than it was. But it was something about the bog being particularly female. Well, because... The bog and the vagina yes, have the same pH. That's what it, was. That's what it that, was. Yep. Yeah. Which is how I found my project. As you found yours through Magic Markers, I found mine through researching the healthy flora and fauna of the vagina. And then it oh, took wow. me to bog. Yeah. So. I,
1: that's what I remember you telling me about. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I like yeah. that.
0: Yeah. So I want to call us back just again to sovereignty and for the sake of her sovereignty. And this being such an individual heroine's tale about how she moves. And in many ways, Maeve, of course, is a hero in certain books when she's off on a quest that she must win, but she's always doing it with others. And I think that's mm-hmm. often the mark of the heroine, right? Is that there it's that do it together ethos rather than only I can save the world, Oh,
1: yeah, that's
0: true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So whether Mae's with her mothers or whether she's with all the rest of the women in the brothel or all the other people she's brought together at a Temple Magdalene, she has this sense of profound individuality. And she's always so interwoven with a collective and so often with a sisterhood. Yeah.
1: I was just thinking that because we're all thinking about abortion these days and choosing and not being able to choose and things like that. And she just had this conversation with her mothers about what would happen. Right. There's and she has this sense of oh, I have a destiny. And in her mind, in the beginning, that's Asus, And she's going to go keep vigil at his um, initiation. Right. But on her way, she comes across. I love the word frenemy. I think that's one of the modern words. That's really great. Yeah. There's a sort of her, a, another rival in her class, a classmate, another redhead. There were so many of them. That was a shock for Maeve to find out. Oh, I'm not unique. But <laughs> she realized that this Vivienne was lying in their hut, and they had come back there because they were all supposed to be at some other event. Because she was um, bleeding to death from a self-induced abortion. Mm. Maeve had a destiny. She had a direction she was going and she had to ch- make a choice. And her choice in that moment was to stay with Vivienne and to discover her own. That's when she really found out she was a healer.
0: Oh, right.
1: as she reached inside her and both physically and also with her her ability to envision, she stopped the bleeding.
0: Mm. Was it the fire of the stars? Is that how you describe it? The fire of the stars. Yeah.
1: And what she, yes, that float. she knew she had that. When she reached in to hold Vivian's womb, she remembered being on a a sunbaked rock on her home island and she felt all that dryness and that heat and she stopped the hemorrhage. Yes. Oh, I have so been- yeah. So she had to, she made a choice not to do what she wanted to do, even though she thought it was her destiny right. to stay with a sister. Right,
0: right. And that moment of discovering she's a healer after having been raised to be a warrior. And I love the moment yeah. when Fan and Boanne recognize, like, oh, damn it, we taught her these skills and she's not even ever supposed to use them. <laughs> yeah. Which I yeah. feel like is such the uh, the dilemma of so many modern parents of like, yeah. I taught you <laughs> script and handwriting and now you're going to do nothing but text in your phone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Another unchangeable thing. Yeah. Right. right. Being a mother and thinking that you know what your daughter needs and yeah.
0: And meanwhile, how could you ever prepare her to go off to? Is it the fig? The fig? And what's the name of the. The
1: vine and fig tree the
0: vine and fig tree is where she ends up yeah. in rome when she ends up yeah. coming in an active sex worker before yes her retirement
1: she's enslaved to that so i wanted to write but that's one of the things that people get most upset about is mary magdalene was not a prostitute that's just some pope made that up and i'm like yeah some pope made that up but he cast her as a penitent prostitute mm-hmm. and she is anything but penitent Right. But I didn't want to just romanticize that either. So I wanted her to have undergone what so many people do is being captured and forced. Right. And then it's only later that she discovers her a priestesshood in that. Right. And then she founds Temple Magdalene. But yeah, she's um sold into the vine and fig tree, which I don't know if that was just fun. Right. Demisha Tertia really, in her own way, the madam that may have ended up with for a while had a whole sovereignty story mm-hmm. because you, terrible things happen to women if they were caught or framed in adultery mm-hmm. in Rome. And one way you could get around that kind of control of women was to register as a prostitute. And so Demitia Tertia did that. And because she was, yeah, I can't remember her whole backstory, but she was like, I'm not going to be dependent on any man. I'm going to call all the shots. Right. Yeah. Right. And so she was very hard and she was a businesswoman and she could be not cruel, but, you know, tough. Mm -hmm. But she was an interesting story, too. So there's a sovereignty piece there also.
0: Yeah. Well, and knowing you wrote, so we're referencing The Passion of Mary Magdalene. So that was written, wow, well over 20 years ago now? Uh,
1: Yeah. I think that I remember doing on a research trip in 97 so I probably started it sometime around then that book which is very big so Mm -hmm. big that my publisher wanted to break it into two which I refused to do I had to accept his title he had to accept that it was one book that book took seven years to write Wow! yeah the first one took five years Uh
0: uh-huh
1: then that one took seven years and then I started being able to compose and revise on the computer and so it took more like three years for the other two right
0: yeah. Um, which is just helpful for all of us creatives out there who are still long, in the long incubatory process. Yeah. Um, but one reason I mentioned when Passion came out was that it was pre-internet. So it was also probably, pre- I feel like it's been a something of a revolution in the last few years of this sort of honoring of, maybe for lack of a better term, of sex workers and remind- remembering that this yeah. is in fact necessarily some deeply shameful thing where there needs to be laws passed to outlaw. It's that sense of like, no, there's many people who rely on this as their means of support and independence. And I just find that you writing into that in the 90s and holding space for that, which was just as true then as it is now, but of course was so true 2000 years and more ago when that was such a fact of life opposed to a... Well, the virgin whore complex that so many Mm -hmm. have have read into Mary's story, both Mary's, because of course, Ma is in here too.
1: And someone I call Mary B., which is the fun thing about novels. That's another one of Maeve's really good frenemies. The people that say, but she was a disciple, she was this, she was that. It's like, yeah, and I have Mary B. in there to represent that tradition. Right, and she's called Mary B mace being a little flip there, but she's Mary of Bethany. Mary B is Mary of Bethany, right. the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And it never made sense to a lot of people see Mary Magdalene as being the same person, mm-hmm. but Magdal is in Galilee, and Bethany's right outside of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. so and there were two locations for Jesus's ministry, and one is Jerusalem, and he stayed with the Bethany family when he was there. and when he was in um Galilee, he stayed with Peter in Capernaum, which was like a very short boat ride from Magdala mm-hmm. I mean, it was six miles along the shore. but you he got her, I mean, it was so interesting being there because he really it's like, oh, yeah, they had a boat. They could go all over the place, which would have taken a really long time to walk. They just went on the boat,
0: right, unless he was walking on the water. right. <laughs> you could do both That's <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> yep. Well, he was Jesus. Yes.
1: Um, But anyway, yeah. So to me, that was like what may may be a little far-fetched as a character, but it wasn't far-fetched to me that Magdala was its own location and Bethany was another location which which held different parts of his ministry. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Mary Bethany's pretty intent on sovereignty too. She's like, damn, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to run away to the Essenes if I want to. I'm not getting married. I mean, So, yeah, she's another woman with sovereignty.
0: So as we begin to close, I would just love to hear you talk a little bit more about your best imaginary friend forever and what that means for you as a storyteller to have created such a partnership with a character and how that continues to influence your life and your creative life. Yeah, What is that like for you?
1: Well, I think that's when I really think of it that way, it's an incredible stroke of good fortune Mm. because I like all my books. I think I like all the characters in all my books and they're good books. I like them, but they're contained within the books and Maeve is not right. And so I think that's a very lucky thing for anyone to have in their life, because I know that she I talk to her, you know, in the middle of the night if I need to. Mm -hmm. But I know other people can do that, too. Right. So she doesn't stay put. You know, I have lots of frustrations in my life, lots of things I still want in terms of my literary career and other books being accepted and other books that I'm working on. But I feel extremely fortunate that Maeve lives. Yes. Yeah. And that, and it's a partnership, it's not channeling, but she lives now. She has her own life. She gets around. Right. And sometimes I say to people, listen, you know, if you talk to me, that's great, but you don't have to just do anything that that she tells you. I mean, she could get you into big trouble. (laughs) She was always getting into trouble. Right. But it's wonderful to have her like that, that that a a character can live beyond a book. I'm very grateful. Yeah.
0: And she, in many ways, sort of proves my thesis slash my Mm -hmm. hope in life is that mythology is medicine for us and that yes. we are also here to do the work of creating and remythologizing, and that way of weaving together both what is ancient and knowing what we're sourced in and then yes. saying, but here we are, times have changed. This is my own personal dilemma, my own personal mm-hmm. crossroads moment. How can being in conversation with yeah a modern mythical ancient being who's all the things all at once I mean to me this it's the entire reason for why we create literature and yeah. why we read literature and they carry these ca- characters with us
1: So here's to not work storytelling and bringing the old characters into the now that's wonderful work that you're doing Oh thank
0: you thank yeah. you I wonder, is there any last message you think Maeve might have for us? Not one that you would channel necessarily, but one that you would know from the heart. Do you think she'd have a message for us today? Well, I think she, the thing
1: that comes to my mind is that she lived in very hard times herself. Mm. I think especially Red Road Priestess, she felt like she and her people at that time were facing what to them was the end of a world. So I think Maeve can be our friend and our companion. I think that's what you want me to say is I can go
0: with you. Mm. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on with us today. And thank you for being with me for so many years. Oh. You've been such an invaluable mentor and soul friend, Anamkara and guide and wise woman in residence in my life and in my head. It's meant the world.
1: Well, it's been a joy and an honor and right on, right on, and tell on, tell on. Thank you, Marisa. Thank you, Elizabeth.
0: Okay. Thank you, mate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, and how to work with me as a writing coach and story healer, as well as my online writing community and courses at marisagoudy.com. Follow the show on Instagram at NotWorkPodcast and join our listeners group over on Facebook. The traditional Irish reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. It's by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Find out about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember, ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us into the present, and create a more beautiful, sustainable future.